We are in uh, week number three of a series that we've been doing called Your Mess Matters. Uh, this series, and unless you're new here, you've heard this a few times, but the series is based off of this incredible book written by one of our very own, Luke Lazan. He and his uh, fantastic wife, Lindsay, they attend our South Metro Atlanta campus. This is, this is home for them. As a matter of fact, they're in this gathering today, and, and Luke wrote this amazing book, and then he kicked off week number one of the series. And if you've yet to pick up a copy of this particular book, we have copies available today. I anticipate they're going to sell out, so make sure you get a copy today. And then if we do sell out, have no fear, Amazon Prime is near. Come on, somebody. So then jump on Amazon. Uh, Luke, when I read the advanced copy of this book, God just dropped it in my heart that this was a word for the house. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into four weeks of this, today being week number three. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, you can jump online and uh, take a listen. Uh, how many of you have been blessed by the series so far, or you picked up the book and you've been blessed? Would you just, to both campuses, applaud Luke for his faithfulness to write this book? Come on. We're really grateful for you, man. And Really, really powerful book. And so in the book last week, I, uh, I quoted towards the end of the message, because hear me, I'm not preaching the book. The book preaches itself. I'm just sharing some of my own personal journey and story and messes in my own life. But I did quote Luke's, uh, one of Luke's uh, pages or one of his quotes in the book uh, last Sunday towards the end, because this was really profound to me, very, very powerful and quite convicting, if I'm being honest. He says this, he says, messes are just miracle-making fertilizer. And then he gives us this thought. He says, don't, don't focus so much on the mess that you end up missing the miracle. Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever been guilty of focusing so much on the mess that you miss the miracle? Come on, that's me too. That's, that's just about everybody. And, uh, and I, I thought about this, and for some reason, leading, leading up to this particular discussion, I thought of a story that I wanted to share with you. And uh, I have preached in, you know, 20 plus years of full-time ministry. I don't know, a couple thousand times, give or take. I, I can't calculate. And, uh, but I don't know if until today I've ever told this story publicly. And once I tell you the story, you'll know why I wouldn't share this story publicly. But I'm going to tell you the story because I think it makes sense. And then I'll present you a question. So, uh, and, oh, this is important. And I don't want to take my whole message to tell you the story, although it, I could, but I won't. Let me say this. I did not know that today was the 37th anniversary of this story until this morning when I called my mom and told her I was going to tell the story. And she said, well, you know, that happened on your sister's birthday 37 years ago today. So happy birthday to my sister. And I uh, hope you hear this message in the story. And sorry for ruining your birthday 37 years ago. <laughs> so we lived in the country. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like the country, country, y'all. Like so country, you give directions and say, you got to pass two orange fields and three cow pastures to get to our house country. So when I was growing up, we lived in the country. And, uh, you know, the country plays by a different set of rules. But this was even pre, like, child vehicle safety laws. So now you're required to have a car seat and a seat belt and all that. You know, back then times were just a little different. And my mom worked for the United States Postal Service for 11 years. And uh, every day when she got off work, she'd pick me up from the daycare in her mail Jeep. Now this is not an actual photo of the mail Jeep. I don't have that. Um, I just Google imaged, come on somebody. But I wanted you to kind of see a mail Jeep. But my dad owned a paint and body shop and he modified my mom's mail Jeep. So everybody knew in town, 
who my mom was because he painted this male Jeep bright red. And then he went on the inside of the male Jeep and he made all kinds of modifications with lifting male trays and sliding male trays to make it easier on my mom. So anyway, every day she picked me up from the daycare. And on this one particular day, she picked me up and she sat me in the male tray. In, well, that's it, in the male tray. Just set me in the male tray. Now, most of you parents know that a seatbelt is one thing, but there's something supernatural about the protective arm of a mama. Come on. How many of you mamas, even when the seatbelt's on your kid, if a car pulls out in front of you, you're like, oh, Jesus, you know, you put your arm wave at me if that's just like, oh, God. Okay, so my mom, all right, so I wasn't buckled, but my mom had the right arm. Come on, somebody. So this was every day. We lived less than one mile from the daycare to my house, less than one mile. So she picks me up on this day. There's a, a, a light rain that's coming down. We've got less than a minute to my house. We cross over the railroad tracks. And my mom says that in a split second, at two years old, I reached up, I grabbed the, the, the gear shift and I put the male Jeep in park. And that Jeep flipped in the air five times and it cleared a five foot fence. And uh, my mom said that witnesses thought that there was a package that flew approximately 25 feet in the air, but that package was me. It ejected me from the male Jeep and threw me in the air. My mom broke multiple ribs, collapsed lung, severed different discs in her spine. Uh, she ultimately had to retire from working, and it's one of the reasons that she struggles so bad in her back. I've told you that she's had 28 now major surgeries. This was, this was catastrophic. So I, obviously I was unconscious, and even if I wasn't, I, I really genuinely don't remember. My mom was unconscious. When she gets you know, her, her bearings together, she crawls out of this demolished male Jeep, and uh, she sees my lifeless body in a cow pasture. Okay, that's how country we are. Like my lifeless body's in a cow pasture. She tries to get to me. And when I get there, I mean, I'm unconscious. I'm, I'm lifeless. And of course, like any mother, she's, she's in just straight panic mode and that adrenaline's going. And she said that when she, she picked me up and rolled me over that somehow, and this is why I don't tell the story publicly, that somehow I landed 25 feet in the air. I landed face first in a big old pile of cow manure. Come on now, you think it's funny. You got your own embarrassing stories. And you're like, yeah, but we don't tell them. Well, that's fair. <laughs> well, I landed in this big pile of cow manure. My mom said that all she could see was the whites of my eyes because I have brown eyes and my face is covered in cow manure. And uh, she, she, she's kind of like, you know, probably not aggressively, but shaking me to get my attention. And I wake up and she says in the cutest, most precious two-year-old voice, I say, mama, let's not do that no more. And she said, son, no problem. We're never going to do that again. So the, the ambulance come. They rush both my mom and I to the hospital and x-rays and all of that. And the doctor says this. And then, and then I'll really jump into the message. But the doctor says this. He says, Miss Worley says, this is, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. He said six inches above, six inches below, six inches to the left, six inches to the right of that pile of cow manure. JC wouldn't be alive. He said, the softness of the manure paired with the mist or the rain that came down on that day. He said, he said, Miss Worley, he said, the poop saved his life. Come on now. I ain't never been so glad for a defecating cow in my whole life. Come on. Every time I, every time I see a cow, I'm like, I, I love you, man. That's why I don't eat steak. Well, not eat a steak, man. You think you're laughing. <laughs> 
you know, and then, and then I don't know if you know this, but it, uh, cow, cow manure is not small. A cow, a cow. <laughs> I got the preacher. This is going to be bad. A cow, a cow can poop up to 65 pounds every day. And yet God, listen to me, and then let me bring it all together. God used the manure to save me. Because messes are just miracle-making fertilizer. See, you, you see, you see cow manure. I see destiny and purpose. Come on now. Are y'all going to help me today or what? So, so it got me thinking. It got, it got me thinking about this. So what are the messes really about? Because you've all, you've all got messes or you've been in seasons of messes or uh, you're just coming out of a mess or you're going to walk into a mess. So what, what is the mess really truly about? I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but let me say something. Then I'm going to read a ton of scripture to you today. Uh, there, there's a reason that you're in a mess. Come on, give me a better amen. Like you, you can ignore it if you want to, but it's there. And I wonder if God wants to teach us something in the mess about the mess. So let me give you this Old Testament story here. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip there. If you've got your smartphone, take out your YouVersion Bible app. I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 18 because I'm going to show you in just a minute through this Old Testament story five, five things that I believe your mess is really about. Five things that I believe your mess is really about. Now, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you five, six verses, and then if you'll allow me the time, I'll come back with context with what we just read. So here's what the Bible says. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is a sound of a heavy rain. Real quick, the nation of Israel has been in a drought and a famine for three and a half years. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, climbed up on the top of, of Mount Carmel, and he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. And this is what Elijah said to his servant, go look towards the sea. And he went up and he looked and the servant came back and said, there is nothing there. And Elijah said, go back, go back, go back, go back. Seven times, Elijah said to the servant, go back. And on the seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab. Ahab was the king. We'll talk more about him in a moment. Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. And meanwhile, and I wish somebody that was going through a mess would just really feel the promise of this particular verse. Because even though there's a drought, baby, the rain is coming. Come on, somebody. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain started to fall. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So let me ask you, what is your mess really about? What is your mess really about? Five thoughts, the Lord, by the way, you're not, you're not gonna be able to Google this sermon. This, this sermon is gonna be preached from a place of my own messes, my own journey, my own, my own story. And here's the first one. In the middle of your mess, there, there is always a purpose. The mess is all about purpose. I'll lean in for a second. Let me say it to you like this. Your mess, whatever it is, 
always has a meaning. Uh, I, I've said this in, in recent weeks in this series, but you don't get a message without a mess. You don't get a testimony without a test. So, so God is not just making you go through something. God is wanting you to grow through something. Give me a good amen right there. So you, you might think, well, there's no meaning for this mess. No, there, there is a purpose for the pain. Come on. That there's something that God wants to teach you in the middle of whatever it is that you're walking through. Now, I'm confident that there's more than just these three reasons that mess happens that I'm going to give you. But for time's sake and conversation, let me give you three reasons that I think messes show up. A lot of messes happen because it's a spiritual test. It's spiritual warfare and the enemy is attacking you. And so there's a there's a, a faith test. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes God does test you. Are you hearing me? And he's trying to grow you and stretch you in a particular season. Or, but but not, all, not all messes are spiritual. Some of them are self-inflicted. Respectfully, sometimes you're just an idiot. And so am I. Come on. How many of you, you don't have to wave at me, but in your head and in your heart, how many of you have ever done something and as soon as you do, you're like, uh-oh. That wasn't wise. <laughs> Fellas, let me say this to you real quick. It always happens when you do opposite of what your wife said, don't do. I've learned real quick that Kimberly is like the Holy Spirit. Sometimes messes are just self-inflicted. But then sometimes the messes are because someone else is an idiot. And, and you get, you're in a trial because you're simply guilty by association. Has that ever happened to you? Like, it ain't, it ain't my fault. Never one time in high school did I ever get in trouble because of me. I was perfect. It was everybody else. Well, that's not true. I did some stuff too. But most of the time, though, you can put into the category of these messes. It's, it's either spiritual, it's self-inflicted, or it's someone else. So what was the purpose of this three-and-a-half-year drought over the nation of Israel? There was, there was a purpose behind it. And listen to me. And this may stretch some of your theology, but you need to hear my heart and not just the words. The purpose of the mess in first Kings and the drought and the famine over the nation of Israel was punishment. It was a spiritual test. It was punishment from God. Why? Because Ahab, watch, Ahab not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ethbel. Listen to me, guys, especially if you're single. And ladies, it matters who you marry. Oh, come on, you ought to give me a better amen. Yeah, it matters who you marry because in your life, uh, you can have a mess simply because you married the wrong joker. Ladies, you're waiting for your knight in shining armor, but you settle for a loser wrapped in tinfoil. Big difference. Are you hearing me? It matters who you marry. And Ahab married the wrong girl. And her family came from a lineage of people worshiping idols. And together they served Baal and they worshiped him. King Ahab set up an altar for Baal, built this temple in Samaria to worship Baal. Ahab also erected this sacred pole called an Asherah pole. And Asherah was the idol or the goddess of fraternity uh, uh, or uh, maternity rather. And uh, as a matter of fact, an Oxford theologian did a study one time and said that God was married to Asherah. Foolishness. Foolishness. Jesus had a wife and Jesus said that my bride is the church. Come on now. 
but they created this sacred pole and people would come and worship this pole. And watch, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes the messes in your life, they come because you get out of spiritual alignment. You're off track. And we've erected idols in our life. We think how foolish to worship a sacred pole. Yeah, but many of us parents, we worship the idol of sports for our kids or business leaders and entrepreneurs. We worship the idol of success and financial accomplishment and achievement. And you need to know something. God don't play, pardon the grammar, but God don't play when it comes to idols. Your Bible says thou shalt have no other God before me. And sometimes the purpose of the mess is to realign you with the proper perspective because you've misplaced the priorities. God is not okay with not being number one in your life. Come on and give me a good amen right there. You got got to let the whole message tied together here because I'll I'll share more about this. But let me make this point. Furtick, Stephen Furtick, who's a great pastor of Elevation Church, says it like this. God does not want you sourced by something that cannot sustain you. And sometimes in the messes, God and the purpose is a punishment to make us realize that anytime you lean on you, or anytime you lean on the things of the world, they will fail every single time. Are you hearing what I'm trying to preach? And he'll use the mess of your life. He'll make you land in a pile of cow manure if he has to, to open up your spiritual eyes to the realization that I will not bow down to any other God. There is only one God. Come on now. Oh, come on. If we don't clap, let's do it right. Yeah. So I may not be talking to everybody, but I'm talking to somebody. There's purpose for that mess. Here, here's the second one. I could stay there, but you've got places to be. So watch this. The mess is not only about purpose, but it's also about provision. Um, I can't tell you how many times in my life a mess has, you know, showed up, spiritual, self-inflicted, somebody else or whatever. And immediately I said, God, you don't care. You don't care. Um, how transparent can I be today? Pretty transparent? I was going, I was going to be transparent. I'm just trying to be nice. I've told the Lord many times before, God, why, why are you picking on me? This is a big world. A lot of people pick on somebody else. Like, what about the guy? I don't even, he don't even pay tithes. I pay tithes. Hello? Y'all are acting like I'm the only one that's ever tried to negotiate with God. Like, what about the person right beside me? Get them. My coworker. Come on now. Get them. Quit picking on me. I told the Lord, man, I'm a pastor. Well, I got to go through stuff. I've committed my life to you. <laughs> and I said, God, why don't you care? Don't you love me? Don't you see me in my mess? Don't you feel me in my pain? When I pray, it feels as though my, my prayers just reverb off of the ceilings of heaven. Are you even there? Hello? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but forgive me for being honest, but I have. God, come on. Enough is enough. I mean, how, how many bad reports does my family have to hear before we see the breakthrough? How many surgeries does my mama have to go through before she gets her healing? Like, do you care? 
Now, I got two kids, and, and you, most of you know that, unless you're visiting today. My son will be 10 in a couple days. His name's Lakeland. London's going to be five in the end of March. Those two kids know how to make messes. They do. They're, they're kids. Like Kimberly and I, we were talking about this the other day. There's, there's going to be a day we miss the messes. We're going to miss the mess of that playroom. They still going to clean it up, though. Come on, somebody. <laughs> But we're going to miss it. I'm going to miss getting on to them for not cleaning it up. But not only physical messes do they make, but relational messes. Man, they're kids. They're, they're brother and sister. They argue and fight, and they actually have a great relationship. I pray it stays that way. And don't come up to me and say, ah, oh, just wait till they're a teenager. I, I'm excited to see their teenager. Don't speak that over my kids. Come on now. But they, they get into it. The other day they were fighting about something, so I went old school. I didn't beat them. I know you wanted me to, but I didn't beat them. <laughs> It crossed my mind, but no, I did what my mama used to make me and my sister do whenever we, we would argue. She'd make us stand in the corner and hold each other face to face. And then, and then every now and again, my mom walked by, how's it going? Good. And as soon as she leave, my sister's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, her name's Amanda. I'm like, Amanda, you're squeezing me so tight. It's called the death grip, you know? So I did that to Lake in London, you know, but let me, let me get to my point because I got other, other thoughts here, but they make messes. They make physical messes, relational messes, but I, I, I've, never, I've never seen a mess they made that made me think, I'm going to stop being their dad. Well, they, there's consequences for their choices, but I've never said, well, I'll stop providing. So even when they're in trouble, we still feed them. Hello. Although that might be an option. No, no, because ultimately, watch this, God has given me the amazing, holy, God-ordained responsibility to be their earthly father. And as an earthly father, I, I am their provider. And, and what, what does the Bible say? You, you compare the gifts that you give to your children to the gifts that God gives? If I'm going to take care of my kids in the middle of their mess, you best believe God's going to take care of you in the middle of your mess. Your Bible says that he is Jehovah Jireh, our what? Provider. Yeah. So a three and a half year drought, a three and a half year famine, and yet God still proves his hand of provision. Watch this. Even in your mess, God's hand of provision is moving because he cares for Elijah. There's no food or water. Elijah wasn't exempt from the mess, but God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Is this all right this morning? Watch what the Lord says. The Lord says, all right, Elijah, here's what you're going to do. Go drink from the brook. And I have provided ravens to supply you with food there. And watch this. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. The ravens in 1 Kings chapter 17 was the first Uber Eats. Come on now. And what did they deliver? Chick-fil-A, chicken biscuits in the morning and spicy chicken sandwiches at night. Come on. You can tell I've been fasting. My God, I'll eat this TV. And then watch. And he ate and he drank. And now watch this. And then, and then when the ravens stopped providing, right, the ravens stopped providing, then he said, now go, go over here. Go to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, I've provided a widow to give you some food. Listen to me. In the middle of your mess, God is a God of provision. And the mess is about provision. See, you think God doesn't care, but God does care. 
but he cares more about your character than he does your comfort. Y'all not gonna help me today. God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. God cares more about your spiritual condition than your financial condition. See, you've only got your eyes fixed on earthly things. But what God is doing in the middle of the mess is showing you that there's a purpose and that he has his hand of provision so that you can know God really does care. Hey, listen to me and I'll move on. Sometimes, oh, God works best in the silence. It's painful. Even Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? As the world grew dark during his crucifixion. God's, God's not taking his hands off of you and telling you figure it out. God is using the mess for a purpose. He's going to provide what you need, maybe not what you want, but he'll give you what you need so that you can sit back on the other side. Somebody say other side. On the other side and realize that he was faithful every single step of the way. Between these two campuses, give me 400 people that can testify to that truth. God's been faithful every step of the way. Come on, clap like you know what I'm talking about. Come on, church. All right, you got time for a few more? Good, watch this. The mess is all about the promise. All about the promise. Every promise from God is yes and amen. I said this last week. He is not a man that he should lie. If God said it, then it shall be done. And I want you to see something because now as we advance in this Old Testament story, God makes a promise to Elijah. And here's what he says. He says, in the third year... The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will do what? I'm going to send the rain. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now I want you to hear something. And again, I hope that every week that we're together and, and I share my heart with you, you don't just take my, my words at surface level, but you, you, you study them in your own life and through the word of God. Sometimes, at least in my experience, some of the promises of God are conditional. Your Bible says faith without works is dead. See, we want, we want the promise and the payoff. We just don't want to do any work. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm in a mess. Just, and I've said this, I'm guilty. Can't you wave your magical wand and fix it? Yeah, but there's some things as you grow through the mess that God wants to teach you. And th this is one of them. God made a promise to Elijah. And what was the promise? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. But first, go to Ahab. Now watch this. For three and a half years, Elijah is a refugee. He's on the run for his life because he's the one true prophet of the Lord. And Ahab and Jezebel want him dead, obvious for obvious reasons. And so now, now God says to, to Elijah, you got to stop running, stop hiding, stop ignoring the reality of the mess and confront it. And I wonder who I'm talking to, but listen to me. At some point, you're going to have to confront the things that you've been running from. You want the promise of God? Then God says, now, now go. Stop running from it. Stop hiding from it. Stop living in fear about it. Stop ignoring it. You run to the mess. You run right into it. And Elijah did that. 
There was this holy boldness, this, this holy God-given arrogance, if you will. And, and he said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to face my enemy. I'm going to face this mess head on. And I wish somebody who was in the middle of this mess that needed this word would really open up your heart here. You're going to have to confront the things that you've been running from. And watch what happens. Go with me to verse 17. And when Ahab saw Elijah, now it is on like Donkey Kong. Now when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, listen, bro, I have not made trouble with Israel. It's your mom and him. Your mama, your daddy. He says, your father's family, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and, and you, have, you have followed the bells. And then Elijah says, here's what I want you to do. Can I preach for a minute? All right, he says, I, I wanna summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on the mountain. For some of you, you need to look your enemy square in the eye and say, enough is enough. Today, you're gonna meet me on the mountain. Come on, church. Today, meet me on the top of the mountain. And Elijah says, and don't, don't you come alone. No, I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal. Bring all the false prophets you got and bring the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Do you see what I'm saying? He says, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We're going to have this showdown today, and today the messy season ends. But you got to confront the very thing you've been running from. And I know you know the story, but let me just share it to you. So when they get on top of the mountain, now watch, it's 850 to 1, if my math is right. 850 false prophets to one true prophet. And they thought that Elijah was alone, alone but he wasn't alone. The Spirit of the Lord was there. And let me tell you, all you need sometimes in the middle of your mess is the Spirit of God. When, everybody, when nobody else is around, Jesus is enough. The Lord is enough. And on top of this mountain, here's what, here's what Elijah says. He says, all right, fellas, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take two bulls. We're going to cut them into pieces. We're going to build an altar made of wood. He says, and then nobody light the wood. And nobody put any uh, lighter fluid on the wood. He said, you, you create your altar. I'll create mine. And then we'll call on our God. We'll call on our God, and whatever God shows up, let him be the one true living God. And then Elijah steps back, and he says to, to, to Ahab and Jezebel and the false prophets, he says, all right, you first. You first. And your Bible says that from morning until noon, the false prophets cried out, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, where are you? Let me tell you something. Baal bailed. Come on now. No, their false God didn't show up. And I like, you got to read it for yourself. It's so good. But I like, the, I like the authority of Elijah because he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> maybe he had an upset tummy and went to the bathroom. Or maybe he's asleep. He's mocking them because Elijah knew that Baal wasn't going to show up. And then finally it came to the point where Elijah was tired of watching this circus. And he says, all right, move out of the way. And he says, I told you to build an altar. He said, now watch this. He said, I want you to pour water all over the wood and build a trench around the altar space and fill it up with water. And then in a posture of expectation and a posture of prayer, Elijah prays to the one true living God. And he says, God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Israel. And all of a sudden, the windows of heaven opened up and lightning flashed above them. It hit the top of Mount Carmel. The wood was lit with fire. And the Bible says that all of the water around the trench and in the trench was licked up by the hand of God. Can somebody help me preach real quick? Hey, I got to move, but listen to me. Listen to me. I don't know. I don't know what style you like, but I'm preaching this way because there's passion. Because for so many of us, when we get in our mess, what do we do? You got to be honest. Oh, God, are you going to do your part? God, are you going to show up? God, what's going to happen? What's the outcome going to be? And what we do is we put all the responsibility on God. Listen to me for just a moment. Stop worrying if God is going to do his part and you just do your part. The promise is yes. The promise is amen. And if you read the end of your Bible, if you read the back of your Bible, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are victorious. The mess will not destroy us. But you got a part to play because God's just not asking you to go through it. He wants you to grow through it. High five three people. Tell them, say, today is good. And it's just for me. Come on, tell them that. Today's good. I love it. All right, let me give you two more. We don't hurry. They'll come to the music. And I ask them to come to the music to make you think that we're close to being done. It means nothing. The mess is all about posture. Um, I don't know if, if you believe in chiropractic care, but, but my family does. We see a chiropractor multiple times a week, and uh, our chiropractor here in town is Dr. Brian Hammer. Uh, he's a part of our South Metro Atlanta campus family. Movement chiropractic in Petrie City. Free plug. In Germantown, when we lived up there, it was Dr. Boslin. Two of the best chiropractors I know. Now, Dr. Brian, because he attends here, uh, sometimes after I preach, I'll catch him in the lobby or in the hallway space, and he'll say, man, Pastor JC, your posture is bad. And I'm like, well, thank you so Thank you so much. He's like, man, no, you're, you're out of alignment. And he'll say, come by the office. Let me get you back into alignment. And so we believe in chiropractic care because everything that God does, including how he made man, it's about alignment. And so sometimes you're physically out of alignment and your posture is off. So what is your posture when the mess shows up? What's the posture? Is it a posture of prayer or panic? Worship or worry? Joy or complaint? Sometimes in the mess, it's to test our posture. And respectfully, some of you just have really bad spiritual posture. So as soon as the mess comes, oh God, here we go. Let me say this and I'll give you, I'll give you a verse here. Um, you wanna know where, you, how do I say it? You want to know how much you need to grow in your maturity with Christ? Let a mess show up and check your posture. You want to know? Because sometimes you think, man, I've come so far in God until a mess shows up and you start yelling and cussing and screaming. And Sometimes the mess is about posture. Here's the posture of Elijah. Watch. He climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Now, physically, I can't do this. This is like some certain day Cert de Soleil stuff. But spiritually we can. This is a posture of prayer. Elijah was never worried because he knew God will show up in this mess. So what's your posture? And then the last one is this. And I could spend 15, 20 minutes here, but I won't. Here's the last one. The mess is about persevering through the process. 
And by the way, God is a God of process. So when the mess comes, you say, how long is it going to last? As long as the process takes. Some messes are quick. Some messes are long. Some messes are a lifetime. But it's all about the process. See, after everything I just shared with you, the rain still hadn't fell from heaven, but he heard it. Watch what he says. He says, go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and he looked. There is nothing there. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. Emmanuel, can you help me real quick? Do you mind? Uh, Emmanuel really is, he's a servant. This young man gets here before almost anybody. And he just, he just, he said, pastor, I just want to serve you. How can, how can I help you? Man, he's sharp too. Come on now. Now, ladies, he's engaged, so back off, all right? But he's a servant. He really is. So uh, we're running out of time, but I'll be, I'll be the prophet, obviously. <laughs> you be the servant. So Elijah said to the servant, go look towards the sea. Can you help me? Yes, all right, here's what I want you to do. Just run, run to the back, but you got to hurry because... We're live streaming this and they got a movie to show in that movie theater. So hurry. Come on, man. Is that as fast as you can run? Come on, run, son. You fall- oh, there he is. They got the camera. All right, come back. Come back. Man, you are slow, bro. <laughs> when you have kids, don't coach them. Come on now. <laughs> come on. I'm just kidding. Come on. What, 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 did, what did you see? Nothing. Nothing? Go back. Go back. Hurry. Come on. You got to go, man. You got to go. Hurry up. Hurry up. Y'all ought to encourage him because right now his both campuses <laughs> right now it's his, his get back here hurry man right now his calves are burning he put his arm around me I felt his thighs like that shaking come here come here what, what come, on, come on man what, what'd you see nothing now here's the problem the servant knows I don't want to deliver bad news to Elijah he just slayed 850 prophets false prophets but he brought more bad news Watch, there is nothing. There is nothing. Let me tell you, for so many of you, this has been spoken over your mess. This, this is the definition of your mess. There's nothing. For some of you, the doctor just told you, there is nothing else we can do. Uh, your spouse told you there's nothing left in the marriage. You looked at your bank account statements, there is nothing left in the bank. And so the enemy keeps telling you, there is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing, but I've come to declare in the name that is above all names that just because you can't see it doesn't mean that God didn't speak it. Come on now. Go back. Hurry. Go, 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 go. Run. Run, boy. Run. Andale, andale. Come on. Come on. Cheer them on. Cheer them on. Son, get back here. Get back here. You better run. Them legs, man. You're going to lose seven pounds today. Get up here. Come on, now watch this, because the posture of Elijah is important because he was never looking. He was listening. What'd you see? This is the seventh time, what'd you see? Oh, it's, it's small. Listen to me. It's small, but it's significant. See, y'all keep waiting for God just to Sometimes you ought to celebrate the small victories. Come on, and watch this. Thank you, son. Watch this. And the seventh time, see, God told Joshua and the Israelites, march around the walls of Jericho seven times. 
The prophet told Naaman, who was full of leprosy, dip yourself in the, in the Jordan River seven times. Some of y'all, you stop on four, you stop on five, you stop on six. Let me encourage you in the middle of your mess. You hang on till seven. Come on. Because on the seventh time, God will show up if you persevere through the process. Ah, man. So Elijah said, all right, now go. Tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, because if you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. And meanwhile, I speak this over you, over your messy season, over your famine-filled season, over the spiritual drought that you feel. Meanwhile, because God is faithful, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain started to fall. And Ahab, this is important, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Let me give you one more verse. This is free, by the way. I won't charge you for the last one. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and he tucked, he tucked his cloak into his belt. And the Bible says that he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And Elijah outran a chariot of horses. Let me tell you something. I think that's significant because if you persevere through the process and you get your miracle, the power of the Holy Spirit will come on you in such a way that you'll be able to operate in supernatural things. And everybody watching you, listen to me, they'll see that God is able to do everything that he promised he could do. I need 500 people. Come on right now. Give God some thanks. You persevere through the process, and on the other side, there's a payoff. Come on. Yeah. On the other side, there's a payoff. All right. Stand up with me if you're standing both campuses. Watch this. I always close with a question. What's your mess really about? What's your mess really about? You may feel like you're face down in cow manure, but there's purpose. There's provision. There's a promise. There's a posture. And there's a process. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Both locations, the musicians are coming. I want you to think on this question for just a few seconds. They'll lead you in a chorus at your campus, and then our campus pastors will transition. Come on, what's your mess really about?